These are the facts. The world is in trouble, but we're going to straighten it out. We are going to build the wall, okay? Don't worry. America first. Together, we will make America great again. That's what I do. I fix things. We're going to straighten it out. Unprecedented, our weekly look at the goings-on in the White House and the efforts of Donald J. Trump as President of the United States to change the world. Every week, in the company of Adrienne Collins, we look at uh, that was the week, according to Donald. Adrienne, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, George. Uh, Adrienne, uh, what for you was the big thing last week? It's been a very busy one for Donald Trump. Um, we were discussing what could possibly go on in advance of this, and then all of a sudden that changed between Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. So I think probably the biggest thing has been the reissuing of the travel ban or travel ban 2.0. The big change is that they dropped Iraq from the list of countries. They narrowed it down to six. Uh, there's still six Muslim-majority countries. And a lot of the people will kind of concentrate on the on the elements. So there won't be people caught in airports like there were because it doesn't affect the people who are essentially already in the air. So they're giving them a notice that it takes place on March 16th when it comes into effect, which is when our own Taoiseach and the Kenny will be there to meet with President Trump so that will change. It doesn't affect permanent kind of visa holders who are already resident, permanent residents of the United States already. But it does still affect a lot of, of the long-term ban that was in the first part of the ban. Well, I suppose the real question is, can it get around uh, the judiciary knocking it down? Which is really the only point that matters. It is. And that remains to be seen. The, the first one made a specific allowance for persecuted minorities. Yeah. And that was one of the lines that the judges picked up. They felt that went against the rest of the Constitution about religious freedom. So this one has taken that line out. And this one looks like it's a little bit more narrow, a little bit more focused. It's going to be rolled out with a plan. As they said during the, during the press conference, Sessions, Tillerson, they all came up during the press conference. They didn't take any questions. And neither did Sean Spicer. He did a you know off-camera briefing with the, with the media about it that suggests that they don't want any further questions on it, that there's not going to be any surprises. I think the key thing is that this presidency, this White House, cannot afford to backle on the travel ban. Travel ban is such a key component of this president's plans for, for his time in office that to get it wrong twice or to have it struck down twice, I think, would be unbelievably damaging. And it's so important to Trump's very brand that he doesn't he doesn't get it yes. wrong. Believe me, I fix it. I know what I'm doing. Right. And if it was wrong twice, some heads have to roll. Now, having said that, everybody has been making, and correctly so, uh, a play on the fact that his uh, opinion polls are the lowest of any president in living memory. He had a huge bounce from the Congress speech. He did. And that was the moment where some of his fiercest critics kind of came on board and said that was presidential. Now, we have to give him the term President Trump because he won it in the election. But presidential, realistically, should be a term that is applied to all presidents because that's what it is. Whatever you do, it should naturally be presidential. But this was the first time that he read from a teleprompter. It was incredibly awkward, I felt, watching the speech. He didn't look comfortable doing it. But... 
there were notes of the American carnage he spoke about in his inauguration speech where he spoke about the murder rates in Chicago and Baltimore. He spoke about the terrible unemployment, all those things. And that was that speech was very dark. This speech to a joint session of Congress was a little bit more, we're already in the process of fixing it. Things are getting better. He mentioned all the motor companies you know, Fiat and Toyota and everybody who were moving their jobs back to the US, which he's already taken credit for after just a few weeks in office. Stuff like that. It was a lot less dark. Everybody's going to die and the whole world is a total mess. But it doesn't say that it wasn't. <laughs> there was none of that uh, necessarily in it. He spoke of this new thing that's called voice. Americans love doing this. They give their legislation a, a, an acronym that can be turned into another word. Uh, this is essentially a, a statistics bureau for immigrate for crime committed by immigrants. And it doesn't necessarily mean illegal immigrants, it means all immigrants, which is a kind of a worrying a worrying thing. Firstly, because if you ask illegal immigrants not to report crime, local police say that that, help, that stops them from doing their job. Because if people are afraid to come forward under threat of deportation to tell them about crimes in their area, then more crimes get committed. But if you're a president with an avowed intention to solve America's illegal migration crisis, then you're going to bring in rules and laws um, which will have either unintended consequences or consequences anyway. I'm still in a, in a difficult place where this president is concerned. I never for a minute imagined that he was going to be a great president. My issue always was, A, I thought he was going to get elected because I knew my America. And B, I thought Hillary Clinton was the only Democratic candidate that could have put up who lost Donald Trump. What is now happening for me is I had a great belief in the White House and the American Constitution. Therefore, I thought it would have a civilizing effect on Donald Trump. Very little other than the speech to Congress. We are reaching a point in the Trump presidency where it can only go two ways. It's going ahead in a particular direction, which I think will be very damaging and therefore will mean he won't get re-elected or will still carry out what his plans were but give a real sense he could win in four years' time against a Democrat party that is itself disorganized and has no logical contender. Well, absolutely. There was During the speech, he gave himself quite a tall billing for the promises that he was going to make. And he already does seem to be looking forward with these rallies around and, and whipping up the base as he, as he does. He already seems to be looking forward to running in 2020. And he made a very long list of things that he thinks he's going to get done in the next few years of his presidency. Dying industries will come roaring back to life. Heroic veterans will get the care they so desperately need. Our military will be given the resources its brave warriors so richly deserve. Crumbling infrastructure will be replaced with new roads, bridges, tunnels, airports and railways gleaming across our very very beautiful land. Our terrible drug epidemic will slow down and ultimately stop. And our neglected inner cities will see a rebirth of hope, safety, and opportunity. Above all else, we will keep our promises to the American people. I counted that uh, the best part, 90% of those are not achievable. Yeah, I would say 
those are... In eight years, let alone four. No, I mean, we look at how much Obama struggled to get health care through. The Democrats also wanted an infrastructure bill, which they couldn't get through. Donald Trump has essentially just promised there, just make everything better. There'll be no more drugs. All the roads will be brilliant. And uh, they're going to have a brilliant wall on this southern border. And the inner cities will be lovely places to go. Exactly. It's, it's totally unachievable. So I think he's set the bar incredibly high. As you were saying, there's, there's one of two ways this can go. And he set the bar so high that it's almost impossible to clear it. And he said at the end, we're going to keep our promises to the American people. He's promised those. He hasn't just said, those are my goals. Those are his promises. And his entire brand is built on delivering that promise. When I listen to that, uh, I think it demonstrates my, my fear for this presidency. Uh, and I don't mean the fear of somebody who's loyal to it. It's just that uh, a bad president of the USA is bad for the USA, but it's also bad for the rest of us. Um, so therefore, I think those kind of goals, uh, setting them so high, so impossible to achieve, it's just not going to happen. No, It's um, unprecedented. Our weekly look at the White House in company with me and White House watcher Adrian Collins. Where do you stand on Jeff Sessions? This is a tricky one. The main issue here is not like Flynn. So there's a pretty good timeline on, on a website called Vox.com that breaks down the contact between Flynn, Sessions and the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. Flynn seems to be a bit more of a smoking gun in that he spoke to the Russian ambassador on December the 29th and then the ne- about cooling the jets on Obama's sanctions. The next day, Putin says, we'll cool the jets. And then after that, Trump says, that's very smart. I always knew he was very smart, right? So that all seems to be ducks in a row. Sessions is a bit more, he met the the Russian ambassador at the Republican National Convention in July. Then they met again in his office in September. And the real issue was that when, during his hearing, when he was asked by Senator Al Franken about contact with Russia, he said that he had no contact with the Russian ambassador. So that is, he's treading the line there of perjury. And essentially, this is what they got, this is what they got Clinton for, not having relations underneath the desk with Monica Lewinsky, but the fact that he lied to a grand jury. That was what they were pushing for Clinton for. So Sessions either willfully or totally but in his, But I mean, how do you see the Sessions defence, which is the important thing? I mean, this is nitpicking for people in Ireland who are less concerned about Jeff Sessions and more concerned about Donald Trump. Yes. But, but a person of that importance in his cabinet, Sessions is absolutely convinced in his own mind that he did not perjure himself. Well, yeah, you can't perjure yourself if you don't know that you were doing. Like, if you're, perjury is very difficult to prove because you have to prove that you willfully lied to Congress. So if you forgot about both of the meetings, then fine, you forgot about both of the meetings. But it seems very unlikely that he forgot about a private meeting that was held in his office. And the question that was asked was, if there's evidence that anyone affiliated with the campaign spoke with Russians, what would you do? And he put forward, well, I didn't speak with any Russians. That wasn't the question that was asked of him. Why put forward that information if you were asked about everybody else's contact with Russia? And then, of course, Donald Trump takes to Twitter and says that he's been wiretapped. And I think these two things are related. Ah, now, I think, in a way, uh, we've reached the nub of the week, which is the president of the USA accuses his predecessor of uh, listening to his phone calls. I don't want to drop in the name of the show to bring it all up. This is unprecedented. Like Senator Lindsey Graham said, and he put it very well, he said that if President Obama ordered a wiretap and illegally listened to Donald Trump, then it's the biggest scandal since Watergate. 
But if President Obama, and not President Obama, but the, the Justice Department, because Obama can't actually order a wiretap, but we'll come back to that. If the Justice Department got judges to approve an order to wiretap Donald Trump, then that's the biggest scandal since Watergate. But... There is another view from a former person in a high opposition in George Bush's uh, administration in justice said it is probable that Trump was wiretapped on the basis that the Obama administration must have known that Trump was talking to Russians. And it would make a certain amount of sense that if a presidential candidate were talking to Russians and maybe engaged in, it could be said, treasonable activity, then it was quite reasonable to suggest that he might be wiretapped. And in fact, what what the guy in the Bush administration says is he probably was wiretapped, but... Obama didn't order it. Obama can't order it. I think that's yeah. one of the yeah, yeah. That's one of the really crucial things. The reason Obama can't order it is because of something called Watergate. <laughs> we all yeah. remember exactly what happened. And the wiretapping American citizens is one of the things that is really strongly opposed by everybody. And in particular, Comey. If you look at Comey's record, people remember... Comey James, is who now? The FBI director, James yeah. Comey, whose influence was felt on the election during that period where he said that they were looking at 30,000 emails or whatever thousand emails that they'd found on Hillary Clinton. On Hillary Clinton. Yeah. And now that, people said, had a huge effect. Now, Comey is really, really independent. Comey doesn't care who the president is. Comey stood up to George Bush over surveillance, said that he felt was outside the bounds. He obviously stood up to Clinton and to Obama, who probably didn't want that whole email thing coming back, and was very, in particular in that case... He was a little bit kind of wishy-washy. He said, these emails could be related. We don't know. They could be duplicates. We want to check. They weren't very firm on it. Now, the New York Times reported that he asked the Department of Justice to flat out deny Donald Trump's, no mixing of words, flat out deny Donald Trump's accusation of wiretapping because he's very concerned about the credibility of the FBI. And if Trump keeps pushing, he's going to learn in the same way Clinton and Obama did that Comey is not going to be pushed around by him. He's a very difficult, different man to deal with. But secondly, to trace back where all these wiretap allegations come from, this is a worrying trend for somebody who sits in, in meetings every morning and gets the most highest, the highest level intelligence. And reports say that he wants that, he's asked to have that down to, you know, this is a, a presidential security briefing. He's asked to get that down to one page of bullet points because he doesn't want to pay attention to it. Yet, Fox News talks about this. Conspiracy theory host Mark Levin talks about this. And all of a sudden, it's on Donald Trump's Twitter and then it's in the mainstream. And all of this is an effort to distract from the fact that there's leaks coming out left and right. Sessions had to recuse himself and he was furious about that. And they were planning another travel ban, which they simply couldn't afford to go poorly. It feels now like he's floundering, throwing out allegations which are totally unsubstantiated and unproven to try and get people's attention off of all the things that are going wrong within his own White House. That is like the most extreme view. Of, of the Trump thing, and I'm not here to defend him, but I am here to maybe give an alternative scenario. The thing is, first, that if you look at American media now, and I've been looking at American media, as you know, for half a century in relation to presidents, 
Trump owns the media now in terms of the headlines. There is no media outlet that doesn't have President Trump on its front page or its its news bulletin or whatever. What he has what he has done is he has changed the face of communication between the president and the people by his use of social media and by his use of the way he talks and the allegation he makes. He was able to defend Sweden, for instance. It may have been a throwaway comment about, look what's happened to Sweden, but when Sweden was investigated, they discovered that there were actually shootings by immigrants of people in Sweden at that particular time. So he had a sort of tenuous excuse. The problem for him now is that on the issue of wiretapping, there is no tenuous excuse. There is the head of the FBI who says we flat out deny. But the FBI have denied before. I mean, Mm. the FBI, you've got to remember, if you're a certain age or you watch certain movies, uh, started essentially with J. Edgar Hoover, Mm. and the FBI was used for uh, political purposes by the director of the FBI. You know, it was like taping Martin Luther King's sexual exploits, for instance, you know, and yeah. so on. So therefore, the FBI has had a checkered career since Hoover. Not every director of the FBI has come out smelling of roses. Mm-hmm. So what this will do, I think, if I were to place a bet at the moment, my bet would be with the FBI and the Justice Department, not with President Trump. But if Trump could find even the most tenuous connection to him and wiretapping, then you said it, not me. This is the biggest scandal since Watergate. And I find it incredibly difficult. I know Harvard psychologists and experts have come out and said, this man is a narcissist. This man is borderline, whatever he's borderline of. (laughs) Like they've named every conceivable mental condition will soon be named after Trump. I cannot believe that he would make this allegation off the back of his trousers. We traced it there that it came from essentially a conservative talk show host who said this. But there is reporting by by the BBC and by other outlets that FISA, which is the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act, you would have to go to judges under FISA and ask for, I mean, if anybody's seen The Wire, you have to go to a judge and you have to ask for a wiretap. Now, they might have been not necessarily tapping his phones, but they might have been looking into an email server because of concerns over Russian banks. There are all these ties between surrogates, people who were involved in his campaign to Russia, Sessions, Flynn, and during the uh, campaign itself, Paul Manafort, who's an unsavory character who was one of his campaign managers, was also tied to Russia. So it's obvious that there was something going on that the Department of Justice would have asked to investigate. Now, what they've done in bringing this into the mainstream media is they've managed to muddy the waters a little bit. So it's gone from they were looking at an email server to look at contact with Russian banks to they were tapping my phones. But you see, the thing is, given the nature of the man, and we're going to close this portion of unprecedented, as you know, it's a, a weekly look at uh, what's going on in the White House with uh, Adrian Collins and myself, George Hook. This is my point. He only has to make a tenuous link. He'll say they were tapping my phone, but when when the manure hits the fence as well, you know, they were really attacking me because they were taping Joe, they were looking at Joe Bloggs's phone, mm-hmm. or they were looking at Joe Bloggs's emails, or whatever. As long as there is some connection between the Trump campaign 
and the Department of Justice stroke FBI, then he's the winner. And it will be unbelievably difficult for the Department of Justice and the FBI to extricate themselves from that. I think, if you were to ask me now, and I, I suspect you feel much the same, that if you were America and there was a presidential candidate who appeared to have contacts with the Russians that you weren't sure about, you'd be doing something about it, wouldn't you? You'd have to. You can't leave it unwatched. So therefore, your 50 pence bet with your bookmaker is that there may be a tenuous connection. I think there is. there probably is a tenuous okay. connection, yes. Fine. Finally... Is race around this week with the White House? Yeah, Donald Trump spoke to... So amid banning most of the other media that he has dubbed repeatedly fake news, he sat down for a very long and in-depth interview with Fox and Friends. And this was something... It was one of the kind of morning shows with Fox that he frequently used to call into during the campaign. And obviously, he's got a lot of supporters on Fox News that he's happy to chat to. Now, we talked about this last week, that Republicans were very wary or getting tired of what they felt was playing the race card by the Democrats, that they were always going to reach and call Republicans racist. And during an interview with Fox and Fens, Donald Trump basically said that, yes, he's sick of this happening, but that he also sees it as politics, which is what we discussed last week. So here's a clip of Donald speaking to the hosts of Fox and Friends. It just seems the other side, whenever they are losing badly, they always pull out the race card. And I've watched it for years. I've watched it against Ronald Reagan. I've watched it against so many other people. And they always like pulling out the race card. You don't take it personal. I can't because I consider it a very serious violation when they say it. I, I have to write it off as being purely politics. I think the Democrats have got a stick to beat themselves with, I think, because they have been so strong on this and labeling their opponents that sooner or later, because it's been around for such a long time, it's bedeviled almost every president since, certainly since the first Bush, the whole issue of illegal uh, migration into America. The Democrats, having played the we're not racist, they are card, are actually going to make it extremely difficult for themselves to tackle any of those problems. No, And I think they're now running a mile from the racist card. They probably will have to because, as we said last week, the Republicans are going to start turning it into a discussion whether or not, not that the politicians themselves are racist, that the people who voted for the politicians are racist. And if you feel that it's a race in a whatever district you're in between a Republican who has your general views on the economy and somebody who thinks you're a racist, who are you going to vote for? It's not the person who who says you're a racist. So that's how they've transferred that down. They've transferred from, uh, you know, Donald Trump being called a racist to whoever voted for Donald Trump is called a racist. Yeah. And the other thing, just briefly about his interview with Fox and Friends, is they spoke about the leaks that are coming out of the of the White House constantly, which apparently over the weekend is one of the things that enraged Donald Trump and why he had to go to Mar-a-Lago for to have a round of golf and relax a little bit. But the reason a lot of these leaks are coming out, and a former kind of commander, uh, a comms chief under uh, President George W. Bush said this, uh, Nicole Wallace, she said that there's no, there doesn't seem to be a process to air grievances within the White House. So what's happening is, instead of going having a process where you can go, under Bush it used to be, you had an argument, it escalated, and eventually the president was the final word on it. There doesn't seem to be that happening because there seems to be kind of chaos within the White House. 
And he is now trying to clamp down on that by essentially looking at people's phones, trying to find out if they've been speaking to journalists. And stories are going up and up and up. The Washington Post last week sorted 17, cited 17 sources for one single story. So this is only going to keep going. They can't plug all these holes of all these leaks. And I think that's going to be a massive problem for him in the next all right. weeks. All uh, right. It's uh, unprecedented. The weekly look at the White House with me and Adrian Collins.